I'll be there in a moment. We've been studying Romans as a church for several months now, and to be honest, we're going to spend the next three weeks in Romans chapter 8, so we're just going to cover the first 17 verses today, and then the next chunk next week, and then the third and final one three weeks from now. And the emphasis of Romans chapter 8 is really about being free. It's about what, this, what, this, what life looks like now with Jesus in charge in your life. If, if you have come to know Jesus as your Savior, you're under new management. You are. And, uh, and it's a good management. The old management, not good. Mistreated you, things were falling, the wheels were falling off. New management, excellent. And Romans chapter 8 is really about what this new management looks like and how you can, how you live, how you, how you live. Um, so one of the things that we're going to be looking at is this, if you've ever felt like you've, so how do I, I'll just go back here for a second. So, you know, before you, before you started following Jesus, you really weren't that aware of this thing called sin. You were just sort of honky-dory doing your thing and going about your day. Because the Bible says that, spiritually speaking, apart from Christ, we're dead. So that's why I'm not really aware. If you don't know Jesus, you're not really aware of this thing called sin. But then you give your heart to Jesus, and I was just talking with my friend about this this morning because he's start, just, just last week, only in the last week, starting to feel the struggle. I'm like, hey, that's cool, that's normal. Because so, now his spirit's awake. He's alive because Jesus lives there. And now suddenly I'm aware of all these things that I was doing that are harmful to me, that aren't helping, and I'm now the fight begins. And how many of you have discovered that in your own life, that you find this cycle at work where it's sin, regret, repent from it, repeat. Sin, regret, repent, repeat. And we do that over and over and over again. So just to give you a quick testimony, in my life, I was five years old when I was first exposed to pornography. My best buddy, Kevin, his dad had a stack of magazines in the garage. And, and I admit at five, it probably was just a curiosity thing. But then, 9, 10, 11 years old, and the hormones begin to kick in. And that added a whole new dimension to that struggle. When I was 15, I had a profound encounter with Jesus. I mean, a profound one. Jesus invited me to be his little brother, and I accepted. From Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. And now I began to walk with Jesus, and it was awesome. Except there was still this issue at work. And I found it to be super intense. And I would struggle, I would fall, I would give in to this temptation. And then I'd be like, oh, Jesus, never again, never again. 
and I'd swear it off, and I'd make vows and promises, only a week later, repeat. And I lived in that cycle for a long time. And God did two things in my life that really helped to set me free from that particular issue. One was after our children were born, they were still little, very babies, and, and uh, as a dad, I, have a, I just feel a profound sense of, of uh, protection over my daughters in particular. I mean, I love my son, just a, if you know, just a different relationship. And I got this fear with my daughters that some guy's going to mess them up, you know. And uh, one day the Lord really took me to task on it. And they were still little. I mean, they were babies. And the word that the Lord gave to me was this. Hey, you are so worried about what some other man is going to do with your daughters. What are you doing to protect other men's daughters from your own eyes? I was like, oh, yeah. And um, so I made a vow with the Lord that day. I said, God, I promise I will protect other men's daughters from my own eyes. You protect mine. And I got to say that that was a real moment of freedom in my own life. I mean, it really began to break there in a big way. And then and then a little while later, it was it was. God bless you. A little while later, it was when I realized the mind, the thought process behind it. Because a lot of people in this, that particular sin, a lot of people just think that it's just about the visual and it's just about the, 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 what you see. But it's not. I realized for me what was driving it was power. Because the, the message there is, oh, you're so powerful, you're so strong, you're so whatever. And when I realized, oh, the mind is actually playing a role here in this problem. Change the thinking, change the behavior. Began to break some more. And I can say it's been years. I mean, praise the Lord. I walk in victory from that, honestly. But I found some of these principles in Romans chapter 8 give us profound strength to be able to finally kick some of these things in the teeth. And I don't think it's any, um, any uh, coincidence that God laid it on, on our sister's heart this morning to pray about smoking. Because I do believe that God actually wants to set some of us free this morning. I think this morning some of you are in for one of those encounters where the Lord just unlocks the door and then you've got to start walking through it. So you ready for that? That's Romans chapter 8. And um, we're going to start with Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Now we're going to read today verses 1 through 17. And, um, well, here's verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now stop right there and go to the end because this passage is sort of bookended with this truth. Look at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. 
And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy. Can you imagine that kind of relationship with God? He's your daddy. You can, it's that intimate. It's that close. And the Holy Spirit gives us that gift. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, well, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs because he's God's son. Co-heirs, he's our brother. So we share the inheritance. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So you see the bookends? We start with there's now no condemnation. And it ends with now you're not a slave to fear. You don't need to fear condemnation. Look at that's religion. Religion says if you, if you mess up, uh, you better be looking over your shoulder because God's going to get you. Religion says it's all up to you to get this thing straight. If you don't get it straight, oh, um, God's not happy with you, so I better shape up. That's religion. But a relationship based on the gift that Jesus has given to you and me says this. You're not condemned. You're not condemned, and you're not a slave to fear. You don't need to fear condemnation. That's amazing because God starts off by setting you and me free. He's like, let's just get this one right out, right out in the open first. Let's take care of this business first. You're mine. I'm yours. We're in this together. Got it? That's fact number one. That's what God does. I love that. So two weeks ago when we were looking at Romans chapter 7, we, we summarized it by saying this. Some days you win the battle. Other days you lose the battle. But there's never a day when you're condemned. In Christ, never a day when you're condemned. You know, my, my kids are my kids. Did they, did they uh, dirty laundry? Yes. Did I kick them out of the house for getting dirty laundry? No. My kids are my, my garage door is permanently dented because my kids had to learn how to drive. Every time I see it go off, look at that big dent. Look, that's from Catherine. That one's from Carissa. <laughs> right? They all have, the house has dents from my kids. Are they still my kids? Yes. Do I still love them? Yes. Did they make some dents? Yes. Do you make some dents? Yes. Does God still love you? Yes, thank you. There's day, you got good days, you got bad days, but there's never a day when you're condemned. God says, let's get that one right out, right on the table first. I'm yours, you're mine. We're in this together. Does that make sense? It's huge. It's huge. It's huge. Because in your war against sin, the devil wants you to think that it's all up to you, and it's not. So now we go in. Um, let's look at verse 2. Because, he says, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Can we just talk through that? There's some concepts in there that we need to talk about real quick. When he says the law, when he says law, you see that word? He's not talking about uh, speeding or running or stop sign, although those are certainly laws. He's talking about moral law. And we learned this last year when we talked about the Ten Commandments. We discovered that God has a moral law that he's created the world with. And, and it's, it's like the, this invisible backbone. And you know that with a law, ignorance is no excuse for getting off, getting away with it. If I'm speeding 70 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone and I get pulled over by a police officer, I can't say, oh, I didn't know. It's, ignorance doesn't get me off. I'm still accountable to the law. And morally speaking, God has created life with a law. And the reason why we're dying the reason why we're killing each other, the reason why there's so much confusion and division in the world around us is because we're breaking those laws. And God in his grace, he says, look, look, humanity, human race, hello, these are the laws right here. This is why you're dying. So the, the moral law is actually a blessing. It's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. I know why I'm dying. The only problem is it's not strong enough to set me free from it. It just tells me what's wrong. And that's why he says the law was powerless. What the law was powerless to do, Jesus did. Now, catch this. Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus. God sent his son, Jesus, to you and me. God sent the best that he had to you and to me. Here's a sobering thought, friends. It took everything that God had to fix all that was wrong with you and me. The infinite God of the universe, with all of the resources at his fingertips, and he would have them all because he's God, gave everything he had to take care of your sin problem and mine. That tells you how bad it is. That tells you why it's just kind of foolish when somebody says that they think that they can be good enough for heaven. That somehow, you know, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. No, that person does not realize actually the depth of the problem. They're ignoring the real issue here. This sin problem that you and I deal with is a really big problem. So much so that it required everything that God had in order to fix it. So God gave the best that he had to you and to me. And it says that Jesus came in the flesh. You see that? In his flesh he came. Now that's interesting because here we are 2,000 years later. We look at Jesus differently than they did in the first century. 
um, we look at Jesus and we don't question his humanity. We question his divinity. We, we say, oh, Jesus couldn't have been God. No, he was just a good teacher. He was a philosopher. He was a healer. He was a prophet. He was a fill-in-the-blank, a good person. See, we don't question his humanity. Many people, they've, yep, the historicity of Jesus. Yeah, he was a real guy. He lived 2,000 years ago. Great teacher. But he wasn't God. That's how we feel about him now. In the first century, so the people who first encountered and experienced Jesus for the first 100 years or so there around the life of Christ, they saw it the other way. They questioned his divinity. No, they questioned his humanity. They didn't question his divinity. They were like, that dude's God. Yeah, but God can't be in the flesh. That's not possible. God can't. He wouldn't be a... Because flesh is kind of dirty. God wouldn't do that. God, That was their question. And they came up with heresies, false doctrines, that basically denied the humanity of Jesus. They didn't question his divinity. And one of, the, one of the doctrines that was floating around in the first hundred years, it said that God didn't become a flesh. He didn't have this. He kind of was more like a, a picture. He sort of, you and I would call it a hologram. They didn't have that word 2,000 years ago. But he sort of projected himself, and that's what you saw walking around the planet. That was one of the views back then. So the Apostle Paul is actually arguing against that view in these verses by saying, oh, no, 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 no. God came in the flesh. He had one of these. And in the flesh, God died in order to defeat sin. Why? Because sin is at work in my flesh. Sin's at work here. Sin is always trying to get me to use this flesh in ways that it wasn't designed to be used. So God said, I'll come, I'll wear one of those bodies for 33 and a half years. I'll do it perfectly. I'll show you how it's done. And then I'm going to die on a cross and I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice to pay for that so that we can finally put this thing to bed. And that's what he did. He did it by, let me read the verse again. What the law, verse 3, was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. I love that. So Jesus kicked this thing for you and for me. Now, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind, it says, governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't even submit to God's law. can't do it. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So here we have in these verses, you discover the power, actually, of your mind at work in this process. Those who 
live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Do you know that your flesh has certain desires and that the Holy Spirit also has certain desires? And the question is, who are you listening to? You know, you believe in Jesus, but do you trust him enough to do what he says? That's where the rubber hits the road. You probably say, oh, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I acknowledge Jesus. He's great. But do you trust him enough to actually do what he says? And if you were to look at your daily life and the decisions that you make, how often are those decisions based more upon what your flesh really wants than on what Jesus would say? Follow? Because that's where we're getting into trouble. I'm, I'm listening to the wrong Remember, we're under new management. I'm listening to the old management. I've got to start listening to the new management. Hmm. I said this uh, two weeks ago, but it's worth repeating. So, sin uses my body and its desires against me. My desires that I have in my body are good desires. God created them, so there's nothing wrong with them. And we don't ever want to think that way, that there's somehow something wrong with the desire to eat or with the desire for sex or the desire to get a good nap in. There's nothing wrong with those desires, you understand? Because God created my body with those desires. The issue is when I use those desires, when I try to fulfill those desires in a way that they were not designed to be fulfilled. That's the problem. Does that make sense? And sin is this thing that's always trying to get you to fulfill those desires in a way that they weren't designed. Because it knows that when you do, it ruins you. It brings harm to you. That's the, that's the goal of sin. And so naturally, if my mind is set on what my flesh desires and I'm choosing to follow that, well, that's going to lead to death, like the Bible says. It's going to lead to trouble. But if my mind is set on the Spirit, you know, I think about this sometimes. Sin has not been a good friend to me. Has it been a good friend to you? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I look back, I think, huh, what did it really bring me, to be honest? I mean, it's got me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> it's just, at some point, I have to begin to change my thinking from sin is that thing, that fun thing that I'm not allowed to do anymore, to no, sin is something that actually threatens the relationship that I have with Jesus that's really good. And, and this is really good, and that is just going to ruin this. So that's the fly in my ointment right there. I, I don't want it. See? I have to change the way that I perceive it. So you see how your mind plays a huge role in this battle? 
So I discovered something. I'm learning something else about this. And here's my own, a testimony of my own experience about the way that the mind works in this. So, so I'm, I'm discovering something that, you know, like I said, I spent years with, in dealing with pornography. That's an obvious one. And a lot of us have obvious ones. You got the smoking and the drinking and the cussing and the carousing and all that stuff. You go, oh, those are obvious. And, and, and some of us are struggling with those things, and I don't want to minimize those things. But you know what? Those things are not a struggle for me. However, I'm beginning now to discover how much my mind plays in this. And so negative self-talking. I give people a piece of my mind in my mind. And I've realized something. I've done that my whole life. But when I was dealing with all the obvious stuff, I didn't really think about that too much. Now that the obvious stuff is off the table, now I'm starting to see these things that were under the surface the whole time, and they were just as deadly. Because the reason why negative self-talk I'm discovering is deadly is because it clouds my relationships with other people. It's hard for me to love you if I'm yelling at you in my mind. It's hard for me to really embrace you when I'm judging you in my mind. And, and sometimes I've rationalized it thinking, well, you know, I'm just preparing for the conversation because I know I've got to talk to this person, so I have to think through what I'm going to say. And you know what I've discovered? I, if the conversation ever happens, and doesn't always happen, if it happens, it never goes the way that I imagined it in my mind. So in other words, I'm wasting time up here. Why not just be gracious, love the person, be in the moment, seek to obey the Lord, follow where he's leading. You know, I've wasted a lot of time right there between the ears in negative self-talk. So now I'm dealing with that one. Let me tell you, that's hard because that's all the time. And it happens in the strangest of moments. It's, it just happens in church. It happens, I mean, it's amazing. You know, it's crazy. Anyway, the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace, he says. Look at verse 9. You, however, I like this. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. Hey, you're not in the realm of the flesh if you're in Christ, but are in the realm of the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, well, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, ha, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Can I read verse 11 again? Because that one's got some power to it. That one's got some juice in it. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives 
in you. Try to wrap your brain around this one. As a follower of Jesus, you don't just have the same power that Jesus had when he walked the planet. You actually have the power that Jesus has since he's risen from the dead. I mean, having the power that Jesus had when he walked the planet, that would be cool. But God has given you one better. The same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead is now the power at work in you to overcome this sin thing. That's pretty cool. Stop for a second. Close your eyes. Let's kind of, I want you to imagine something. Think about this. Okay. Let's think about God. Okay. Now, when you think about God, what are the qualities of God that just come to your mind that you just think are awesome, right? What are those qualities? And let's just start yelling them out. Somebody start, what do you, what do you see? He's glorious, he's powerful, he's, he's pure, he's loving, he's what? Holy, peaceful, faithful, all-powerful, yeah. He's righteous, what else? <laughs> yeah, he's completely gracious, he's justice, he's holy. Ooh, he's holy. Loyal, faithful, full of grace. He's gracious. Omniscient, all-knowing. He's powerful. He's forgiving. God is all of these things, is he not? All of these, all of this awesomeness is who God is. Now, are you ready for this? All of that lives in you. That's a game changer. Let me read it again. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because of his spirit who lives in you. That's repeated twice in that verse. Who lives in you? Spirit of God. All of that awesomeness that we just talked about lives in you. That means, my friends, that you have a resource in this battle that I'm not so sure you really understand how awesome it is. <laughs> You are not alone in this battle. Part of the problem in our war against sin is when it comes to sin, we tend to think that it's just me against the devil. Mano y mano. It's it's hand-to-hand -hand combat and just me and the devil. Listen, no, 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 no. Uh -uh. The power of the resurrected Christ lives in you. He's with you. You have a resource at hand, my friend. Therefore, he says, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. So where's our obligation then? He doesn't, he doesn't really finish the rest of the sentence, but where, where is it? If my obligation is not to the flesh, where is it? To the spirit. 
Yeah. And the word obligation is used loosely, isn't it? We think obligation is a negative thing, but it's not negative in this case at all. I don't have an obligation. It's like it's a, it's a privilege. It's, a, it's an honor. It's a blessing. I have this resource. I don't, so in other words, I'm not obligated to live to the flesh. I don't have to live to the flesh. Listen, okay, think for a second. That thing that keeps tripping you up, now say this with me. I don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You're not obligated to it. Because you have the Spirit of God at work in you. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Here's an important truth. You are not your body. But what you do with your body affects you. And the enemy tries to get you to think that somehow... You're just like a, at the, you're at the whim of your feelings, you're at the whim of your desires, and you just have to just be carried along by them and do them. No, 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 no. You, you are not your body, but what you do with your body does affect you. You're under new management. Let's start taking charge of this. You have the power of God at work in you. Let's start taking charge of this. That's the beautiful thing. And then look at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. In other words, I'm a follower, and so are you. You know that that's really all we are, that it's a lie. One of the lies from hell says that you're the captain of your own ship, and you're the creator of your own destiny and all that stuff. And it sounds nice, makes for great motivational poems and stuff, but it's really not true. You're a follower. Think about what the Bible says about you. The Bible says you're sheep. The Bible says you're a servant. The Bible says you're children. You, you see the common thread there? That means you're a follower. There is a God, but you're not it. That's the point. But the truth is, the God of the universe does live in me. I, we work together. That is true. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I want to be led by Him and not by my bodily desires any longer. I need to begin to see what's at work here. This is what Romans 8 starts to do, is it starts to open our eyes to the battle. That actually this thing called sin, it's really not me, because I'm dead to sin. We talked about that in Romans 7, remember? So I'm dead to that. It's, it's not me any longer. That's, that's not who I am. But it still affects me. And he says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. We need to read this because these are great verses right here. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Um. Do you have that testimony in your heart today? If you don't, I would like you to. In other words, when things are noisy and we're busy and we've just got all this stuff going on, we tend to not think about it. But when everything starts to get quiet and you begin to hear that, that you begin to hear your own soul, what do you hear? Are you right with God? 
or not. I, I propose to you that that's the reason why a lot of people like to keep their lives noisy, because we try to keep that at bay. And, and the truth is, a lot of us are scared of the quiet because we know what comes up when it gets quiet. But hear me, friends. You can solve that today. It's, it's prayer. It's a, it's a simple prayer. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want to begin this relationship with you today. I, I want this. I want to be able to have that intimate relationship with the God of the universe to call him Daddy, Father. I want to have that kind of connection with God. You can have that today, my friends. Don't leave this place until we get the chance to talk about it because I want to I introduce you to my friend Jesus. And it says, now if we're children, well, then we're heirs. Love that. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I have a perspective on what that is to share in his sufferings in this context. I don't know that it's necessarily about getting beat up or persecuted for your faith. Although maybe that might be what it has to, maybe has something to do with that. But I think more often, Jesus, remember, had flesh. Jesus was in the flesh. Meaning Jesus struggled with all the same desires that you do. He did. He, and yet he did it perfectly. And so when I share in the sufferings of Christ, I'm actually engaging in that battle with Jesus. He, he, Jesus is joining me in this fight. Like I said earlier, I need to start seeing sin, not as the fun thing I can't do anymore, but rather as a threat to this relationship that I enjoy with Jesus. And, and listen, remember how Jesus taught us to pray? We, lo we love the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you catch the pronouns there? That the pronouns there are plural first person. So in other words, Jesus says, hey, let me teach you how to pray. You know what, when you pray, why don't we go talk to our Father? Jesus is praying with you. He's not teaching you how to pray like him. He's inviting you to pray with him. And he says, and he says, deliver us, Father, from the evil one. Deliver us, lead us not into temptation, Father. Why? Because Jesus enjoys the relationship with you as much as you enjoy it with him. He's, he's just as committed, just as committed to defending the relationship that you have with him as you are. Deliver us, Father, from the evil one. Deliver us from temptation. See, the reason why oftentimes we give in to sin is because we're trying to fight it on our own with our own resources. And it's time to recognize that Jesus and I are in this battle together. We're in it together. And he's in it to win it, and so am I. Are you? You have a resource, my friends. You have a friend. You have, 
a power at work in you that maybe you never quite saw before today. You are not on your own in this battle. If you're in Christ, you're not on your own. You're not. It's kind of like my cell phone. I, uh, I don't know, I've had a smartphone now for a couple of years, like everybody, most everybody else. But I still use my smartphone just to make calls. And I'm always surprised at how you can, at the stuff it can do. <laughs> like when I'm lost, do you know it has a GPS on there? I never, wow. Or you, you can use your cell phone. So I was trying to fix, I was trying to change a light bulb in our car. Why do they make them so hard? Why can't a car light bulb just be plug and play? I don't get it, but it's not. So I'm sitting here struggling to try to figure, and then somebody goes, hey, did you Google it? Oh, yeah. You know your phone can help you change a light bulb on your car? There's a video right there. Show me how to do it. My exact make and model. I was like, this is awesome. Did you know your phone can do that? Wow. So you know your phone can tell you the weather? Like, you don't have to just walk out and get wet. Like, you can know it's going to rain, and you can be prepared for that. It's really something else, these smartphones that we have. I'm discovering uh, that there's more on, there's more in my pocket than I knew I had before. My relationship with Jesus is a lot like that. A lot of us are just using them for phone calls. Oh, God, in Jesus' name I pray. Okay, great. Nice prayer. Great. But he actually wants to be with you every single day. As often as you consult that phone for as many things as you consult that phone, Jesus. Jesus. I'm not saying Jesus replaces your cell phone. You don't, don't hear that. I'm just using the analogy. I'm, you, you get the analogy? Jesus wants to be with you, and he does more than maybe what you think he does. And, and part of the reason why you're giving in and caught in this cycle is because you're trying to fight it on your own. And I'm here to tell you today that the power of God is at work in your life. You're not alone in this battle. So surrender to Jesus. Jesus, I, I need you. Jesus, we're in this together. Amen? Come on. So, Lord God, I um, thank you. I just thank you, Lord, that you have not just kicked me off into the universe and make me do it on my own. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful, Jesus, for your constant partnership with me. Not just with me, but within me. That's amazing. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand this and grasp this. I mean, I, I'm struggling to put words to it myself today, Lord. So would you just take this Holy Spirit and just bring it to life, I pray, in our hearts. Actually, I would pray, Lord, that sometime this week that each one of us would have this experience where something will happen and we'll be able to relate it right back to this morning's teaching. We'll say, oh, that's what that was about. Thank you, God. And I pray right now for those this morning here that are right in the thick of that struggle they feel the regret intensely and they've repented and then they keep repeating it and they're right in the thick of it God I pray today set them free